we've been going through the book of Philippians. How many of you like the book? Very practical um, things that we can put into practice like two minutes after you leave the service today, you can put into practice what Philippians is telling us to do. So if you have your Bible, smartphones, tablets, any of those, turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16. And um, last week, Patrick covered chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. But I want to go back, not because he did a bad job. Matter of fact, he did a great job and uh, really sparked some things to really think about, pray about. But in chapter 3, Paul's saying, you know, all these things that I've accomplished, Hebrew of Hebrew, zealous for the law, all those things were garbage. In other words, they were dumb. They were worth nothing compared to knowing Jesus, intimacy with Jesus. And that's the part for us today. We want to talk about moving forward. Any of you guys ever got stuck in your walk? Okay, all of us. We've gotten stuck, and we don't know quite how to move forward. And the enemy has done a number on us, and he's told us and whispered in our ears all these lies that we've begun to believe the lie instead of the truth. And so when we're wanting to move forward, it's very difficult. And sometimes we find ourselves even paralyzed. I don't know about you, but there's been times that I've just been paralyzed. Paralyzed with fear, paralyzed with what if, paralyzed with this and that. And so today we want to talk about how do you move forward when you're stuck? How do you move forward when you can't go forward? Um, my dad and mom had a 1967 Mustang, candy apple red, three speed, that that's what I learned to drive on. I'll, one day I'll show you the picture. It was the bomb car. You know, it was the chick magnet, even though I'm not a chick magnet. I mean, it was awesome. And my dad was teaching me how to drive a stick. He would take my brothers and I out on a country road where we couldn't hit anything. And he'd say, okay, now put it in first gear. How many of you guys are relating to this? And he goes, okay, let the clutch out. Well, I didn't let it out, I popped it. And the car goes, blah, 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 and then it stalls. Push the, my dad was a very patient man. Push the clutch in, give it a little bit of gas, start the ignition, and then let the clutch out slow. I don't know if any of you guys ever did this, so I would go, and pop the clutch, and it would be, bum, 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 bum. And dad would just say, no, push the clutch in. And so eventually, I began to navigate the clutch, and I began to drive that car to school in many different places. So Pam and I grew up in Kansas. In the winters, it snows, and it snows a lot. And so my dad had told me, never go off side roads. <laughs> you know where this is going. Never go off side roads because you can get stuck. Well, you know, being a 15-year-old, having my license, I knew what was better. 
So we had about 12 inches of snow and they were making this development of houses, so they'd already cut roads. And so me and my buddies were out there, we're fishtailing, we're doing donuts, and we're going down this road, and all of a sudden the car goes boom. And so you know what you do, you put it in reverse, gun it, you put it into first, gun it. Well, we were just digging a bigger hole. And so I was going like, my dad is going to kill me. He is going to kill me because number one, I disobeyed him. I shouldn't have been where I was at. So these guys in the car, I said, get out of the car. And we were real close to the high school and they were having a wrestling tournament. I said, go get five guys, six guys that will lift the car out. So a little while later they come and they lift this out, and I'm able to get out. And I, after that, I, I promised the Lord. <laughs> I said, Lord, I will never do that again. How many of you know that was a lie? <laughs> I got out of danger, so it's like, okay, let's go back into this. But what was the, the point of that is, is we get in ruts, we get in rut spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, and we just go back and forth, back and forth, and we dig a deeper rut. But God's given us tools to help us get out of those ruts and to move forward in our lives. Now look at verse 10. Patrick covered this last week, but this is, is a segue into this week. Because, you know, there's not verses in the Bible. There's not chapters and headings. It all flows. So verse 10 says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain from the resurrection of the dead. The word know is the same word in week one. It means to know him experientially. It's one thing to know Christ in your head, to know that he's the savior, that he is the door, that he is the gate, that he is a good shepherd, but it's another thing to know God experientially. Matthew 23 says, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. We can know, yeah, God is my shepherd, but to know him where he has shepherded us when we've gone through those valleys of darkness. We've met the great shepherd, the good shepherd that took us through that valley. We know that shepherd and we know what his, he's like, his characteristics of when I need to go into green pastures or beside still waters. I know him. I know him as Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. I don't know just the fact about that, but I have experience in my life of seeing him heal. And so he's telling us here, I want to know. I want to experience. You know, John says in 1 John 1, 1 he said, these things we write to you, the things that we have touched, the things that we have seen, the things that we have experienced. And that's part of our journey. Part of when we get stuck is we've not built that intimacy with the Lord to allow him and to help him, ha help us move forward. 
And so he says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection. And he wants to know that power. And he did experience that power. Remember on the road to Damascus, he's going to persecute the church and Jesus himself appears to him. I'd say that was a power encounter. And he was taught by Jesus. He wasn't taught by the super apostles. He was taught by Jesus. So he did have this power encounter to use and to give him grace in his life. The word power is the same word in Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? It's the power of God for salvation. The word power there is the same word here. It means that God gives us the power to overcome resistance. He gives us that power to be able to move forward when all hell is coming against us and we feel stuck. He's saying, I want to know that power. I want to experience that power. And see, we all want the power. We want the power. Every time I think of that, I think of the movie Bruce Almighty, where he's given the power of God and there's a lineup of cars or he's walking down the street and he's pointing at things and uh, fire hydrants are blowing up and going and cars are partying and the music, I got the power, is going on. So every time I think of that, yeah, I want the power. Anybody says, no, I don't want the power of God, but the power of God is always in conjunction with fellowship with intimacy. God doesn't just give us the power so we can use it to be seen and to be glorified, but he gives us that power to bust through the resistance. He also says the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Fellowship means joint participation. So not only does God want to give us power, but he wants to partner with us in the sufferings. So after the service, we're gonna have a sheet for you to sign up for the joint participation in suffering. <laughs> so on one table is the suffering, the other one is the power. So I imagine the line with the power is pretty long. But see, they go hand in hand. And if we hold on to any of our titles, any things that we have done, they're just rubbish because it is God's power that sets people free. It's not me. It's not your degrees. It's not your logic. It is the power of God that sets men and women, boys and girls free. And so he says, we're going to share in that power, but also in the suffering. And the suffering here isn't the substitutionary death that Jesus did, died for our sins. This is about a suffering for doing what is right. We're talking about suffering for righteousness sake. Not for Jesus already paid the price on the cross. Maybe because the church isn't persecuted today is because we're not living a righteous life. We blend in. 
We kind of look like the world. At times we smell like the world. But Jesus was persecuted because he lived a righteous life. Now, let me say this. Living a righteous life is not legalism. It's not about the do's and don'ts. Some of you need to be set free from that. It's not about checking the list off. It's not about, okay, I did this, this, this. Because we have been set free by the blood of Jesus. And there's a more sure way that God has given us because now we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And so it's not a legalistic thing. It is for freedom that I've been set free and you've been set free. And so the righteous life and partnering in this suffering is about doing what is right. Doing what's right in your jobs. Doing what's right with your employees or employers. Doing what's right with your spouse and with your kids. That's part of living this righteous life. In Colossians 1.24, Paul says, And now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul's desire, before we get into verse 12, is that he would know, that he would know experientially. Let me ask you today, do you know him? Not facts about him, but do you know him? Does he drive? Does, is he your passion? Or is it a Sunday thing? Does he lead in your family? Does he move in your heart because you've met him when you've been stuck and he's been faithful and good? He says, I want to know that power and I want to partner about in living a righteous life. You see, the practical and great things that I love about Philippians, Paul's saying, what is on the inside is congruent on what you see on the outside. There's no difference. What we see in everybody today should be evident on Wednesday or Friday or Saturday. And Paul says, I want to live in that reality, reality internally, but also outwardly. I want to walk in that power and I want to walk in that righteousness. So verse 12, look at verse 12 with me. He says, not that I've obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Wow, 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 wow. Verse 12 is loaded. We could spend all day, I promise you I won't, but we could spend just right there getting all the nutrients out of that. What does that really mean? What is, what is the Lord saying to us? He says there, not that I've already attained all this. This is amazing. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament who knew what it was to walk in the power but also suffer. He says, not that I've already attained it. Listen, there's nobody here today and none of us online that have obtained it all. 
And so when he says, not that I've attained all this, what's all this? Well, go back to verse 10 and 11. He hasn't obtained that total intimacy of walking in the power of God, but also sharing in his sufferings, that righteous living. Think about it. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He saw miracles, signs, wonders, and miracles, and yet Paul's telling us today, we, he doesn't have it all together. So when you find someone that knows it all, or thinks they do, that they have all discernment, all wisdom, all prophecies, run as fast as you can. Because nobody has it all together. We see in part, as uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, and we prophesy in part. He's saying here, I don't have all this, but I want to. I want to go more, deeper with him. And then he says, or I've not arrived at my goal. Some of your translations say already perfect or fully mature. Paul's not talking about perfection here because none of us are perfect. But what he's talking about is a spiritual journey. Remember in chapter one, he says, he who begins a good work and you will what? When will, he, when will he finish it? Did he finish, does he finish it in two months? Three months? 25 years? That's the point. It's a process. It's a journey that we're on. And so when he says, I've not become fully matured, but I know that I'm on this process of spiritual maturity. Every one of us this morning, we're on a level and moving forward in spiritual maturity. Hopefully, in your walk with the Lord, you're more mature this year than you were last year. And you're more mature than you were two months ago than you are now. You're more mature in that. And he says here, I press. He's going to use this word several times. It means to pursue. If we're going to move forward, we have to pursue. What are we pursuing? We are pursuing Christ-likeness. I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be a copy of Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to grow in my intimacy with him, and, and, and you do too. And we want to grow in understanding that power and use it for good, not for bad. And we want to partner in that suffering so that we'll become more like him. And then he says this. Now, this blows my mind. Every time I read Philippians, I just stop right here. And I just, I it just kind of, I begin to meditate on it and think about it. He says, I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Some of you this morning need to hear this. When you became a believer, Christ grabbed hold of you. You are no longer an orphan or a slave. You became a son or a daughter. You became a son and daughter. Romans 8 talks about, therefore there's no more condemnation, no more fear, 
but that God has adopted us. He's chosen us as his sons and daughters. But here's the thing. Some of you don't believe that God has a purpose and a destiny for your life. You believe you're just here by accident. Mom and dad had a night of fun. You were born and tra-la-la-la, I'm just here on this earth. You're not just here on this earth for the sake of taking up a seed in this service. You are here because God has divinely created you in his image. He fearfully and wonderfully made you in your mother's womb. And because of who you are, he says, I have a purpose and a destiny for you and I'm taking hold of you. Can you imagine that? You're not an accident today. You're not just sitting here. You're not just here in Kenya. Whether you came here from another country or you were born here, it's not an accident. And Paul says, I'm trying to take hold of that which he has taken hold of me. You know what that means when we get stuck and we're not moving forward, we go back to what God said about us. We stop believing what everybody else is saying about us. We stop believing the lies about what everybody's saying about us. And all of a sudden we say, God, I've been made complete in Christ. We take a step. God, I, I am no longer the tail, but I am the head. I am a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen nation. I'm a child called out of darkness into your marvelous light. And we begin to make movement forward. Instead of rehearsing the narrative of this world, we rehearse the purposes and destiny God has for us. And so we take hold of that. Do I know all of God's purposes for me? No, but I grab onto them. And I'm not going to let go because God is a good God and he, br he brings good gifts. And the enemy wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy. Verse 13. Oh, there's so much more I want to say about that. Okay, Craig, focus. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Is that amazing? Apostle Paul could have come here today, been snapping his finger, miracles, all this stuff. Listen to what he said, brothers and sisters. There is a posture of humility every one of us has to walk in. Even when we know something, even when we've discerned something, it doesn't mean we've elevated in arrogance and pride. There is still this place of humility. I'm not talking about walking around like I'm a worm that's unworthy. But we walk as sons and daughters that we know who we are, but we walk in humility. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it. It says, but one thing I do. In the Greek, I do is not in there. It's simply this, one thing. One thing, one thing, one thing. What is that one thing he's saying here? He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. 
This one thing, forgetting what is behind, it means to completely forget. Please hear me. Many of you are tormented by your past. The enemy brings it up and hammers and hammers and hammers you with your past. If you want to move forward, you have to completely forget the past. Now, how do you do that? First of all, if there is a sin, you repent. You confess it. First John 1.9 says, confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Right then. You don't need someone else telling you that it's forgiven. When God forgives you, it's forgiven and forgotten as far as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more. I thank God for that. And so he says, forgetting, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Okay, so let me give you a visual. When we still have stuff to the, that's in the past that we've not completely repented and forsaken of, we'll be moving forward and somewhere, someplace, the enemy will trigger something and all of a sudden we're pulled back here. But when it says one thing, forgetting what is behind, it means we cut the cord. The sins of the past, if you've confessed and repented, they're gone. Stop allowing the enemy to put shame on you. Cut it. It's been cut. It was already cut. So that as you're moving forward, the enemy goes, hey, you remember what you did two years ago? Don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, really, you know, you're, you're such a sinner. Yeah, you're right, I am a sinner saved by grace. And the blood of Jesus covers me past, present, and future. And I know where I'm going. Devil, I know where you're going. You can even have a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, devil, you're going to hell. So he says, forgetting. Hebrews 12 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything. That's the one thing. Let us throw off everything that is hindering us. What's hindering you today? What's stopping you from moving forward? I don't know what that is for you. But he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. Listen to this. Sin for the moment may be pleasurable, but it always entangles and it always produces death. Always. It is never Satan's goal to bring a little bit of light and a little bit of truth because every word he speaks is a lie. He's a liar. So let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily tangles and let us run with perseverance the mark set, the race set out for us. Again, he who began a good work in us is going to carry it to completion. He who began that work in me, imperfect as I am, trust me, Pam can give you testimonies. As imperfect as I am, I am every day looking to grab hold of that which Jesus grabbed hold of me. And to walk in that arena in my life. 
completely forgetting the past, your sins, your failures, your heartaches, your discouragements, thwarted hopes that you had and dreams and plans. Once you confess them and bring them to Jesus, they're gone. Then he says this, the one thing, forgetting the past, I strain. It's the idea to stretch forth after. I love the Olympics. My favorite part, well, two favorite parts is the basketball and the track, specifically the, the races, the relay races. And if you watch them in the relay races and all the things that go into the timing of handing off that baton, it's, it's just amazing. It's got to be precision. And if you watch in those four by four or whatever races, they're reaching back and the guy handing the baton is straining to get it to him at the right moment for the transition so that they can gain the advantage in the race. And that's what Paul's saying. One thing, forgetting what's behind, I'm straining towards what's ahead of me. I'm straining towards intimacy with Jesus. I'm straining towards that walking in, in power and in suffering with him. Verse 14 says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Again, the word is the same word it means to pursue. What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing in life? You know, when I was young and starting out in ministry, what I pursue, pursued was building my own ministry. <laughs> and God quickly showed me that that's vain and empty and nobody gets saved. You're just stirring the pot. But what are you pursuing in life? We have jobs, yes. There's nothing wrong with pursuing that career and doing it with excellence. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the core of your heart, if we could put it up on the screen, what would it show you pursuing? What would it show for me if I put it up on the screen? Am I really pursuing him? And so he says, I press towards that goal, that purpose, towards that goal, that bullseye. What is that bullseye? It means to bear down upon. What is that thing I'm bearing down upon that as I'm moving forward, I'm not going to let the enemy stop me. I'm not going to let the enemy uh, distract me, but I'm bearing down on the goal, the bullseye, the mark. And the goal he's talking about, or some of your translations may say Mark, is Christ-likeness. The reason why I love Philippians, it's practical. At the end of the day, it's, it's not about all these peripheral things. It's about being like Jesus. Am I like Jesus to my wife? Am I like Jesus to my boys and my daughter-in-law? Am I like Jesus to my staff? Am I like Jesus at KVC as your pastor? That's the goal. The goal isn't to be known. 
The goal isn't to be popular. The goal isn't to build a mega church. The goal of my heart is to be like Jesus. Now I want to I bring something in here. I miss the mark. I miss it. I'm aiming for the bullseye of Christ's likeness, but I hit the outside of the bullseye. And sometimes my arrows go flying past the, the mark. But the, the, the very essence of my heart, and I pray it's yours, that I want Christ to be formed in me. I want the word of God to be rooted and grounded in my life so that everything I say and do is Jesus. Now, does that happen? No, it doesn't. That's why when I miss the mark, I go back to him and I ask for his grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Verse 15. Worship team, you can come on up. <clears throat> he said, all of us, talking about the church at Philippi, all of us then who are mature should take a view of such things. What is the maturity? What, those that are mature, is that Christ-likeness is important more than our agreements and disagreements. I like what TC said today. And I want you to know as your pastor, I don't say much about the COVID and what mass, not mass, va vaccinized or not vaccinized. It's an individual choice. It is not a moral decision. There's nowhere in scripture where God says, thus saith the Lord, you shall be vaccinized or you shall not be vaccinized. We've made it an issue that divides and it should never be an issue as believers. My mom has been jabbed, as you guys call it. And so I'm on the phone call with my mom, <clears throat> and she goes, Craig, have you got the jab? I said, well, which jab, elbow jab or? She goes, you know what I'm talking about. And I said, no, I haven't. She goes, you're just, I have an older brother. You're just like your older brother. You both are so stubborn. He hasn't gotten it either. I told mom, I said, mom, I'm not convinced on the science of it. I'm not opposed to it. I'm not anti-vax. I'm just not convinced myself whether to have that or not. Maybe with more data, more time, if they mandated to fly international that you need to get a vac, I would get it because both of our moms are back home. So it's not like oh, I'm fighting all this stuff. See, when we're Christ-like, we spend our focus on Jesus. These are side issues, and we've made them major issues. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. It's okay. But let us keep our focus on Jesus, because the enemy has used this to divide the body of Christ. America's a mess. It grieves my heart every day when I read about it and how they've divided. The church is so divided in the states. But what he's saying here, those who are mature, let's move on to maturity. 
These things have nothing to do with Christ's likeness. That's the problem. We take Jesus and put him to the side and we put these issues right here and we focus all our time on things that don't matter in eternity. Just my opinion. So that's why you see some people don't have masks, some do. It's okay. I'm not going to fight over that, but I will fight for Jesus. And I will fight for people to be set free from the darkness and bondage of sin. That's my promise. He says, only, he said, even if some point you think differently, that too God will make you. Listen, at some point we disagree. That's why the Holy Spirit helps us. He'll, he will, he'll bring it, make it clear to us. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. What it means when it says let us live up to, it means let us continue on the path. What's the path today, guys? The path is Jesus. The Bible says that the road to destruction is wide and many go therein. But the road to eternal life is narrow and very few go in. He says, let us continue on the path. What is that? The path of righteousness. Doing what's right. Following what God says. Having his word hidden in our hearts so we won't sin against others, against God. To rightly divide the word of God. To be good students of that word. He said, only live up to what we've obtained, to arrive at, to reach. It's talking about progress. It's talking about a journey. Thus, the topic of Philippians, joy in the journey. So do you know him? Do you know him? Not about him. Have you personally made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? I'm not talking about having your name on a church roll book. I'm not talking about, well, I've come three out of the four Sundays. I'm a Christian. I'm talking about that if I called you up here, you'd be able to give a testimony of the hope that you have within you. That how Jesus set you free, how you confessed your sins, and Christ sent his Holy Spirit in your life. And since that time, there's a difference there's a difference from when Jesus came into my life than before. If you can't say that, I would say you're not born again. Because Jesus changes everything. If he doesn't change everything, then he changes nothing. And if Jesus can't change our hard hearts, then what are we doing? So he's given us some very practical things about moving forward today. To pursue, to press, to forget, to begin to move, to speak truth and not lies, and to walk in his grace and his mercy.